0: Welcome once again to Morbid History Podcast. It's just Katie this time um, because Charlie and I uh, are currently in, cr- in different continents. So I'm at home in Canada for Christmas and Charlie is in London. Um, we just wanted to say that we are live and we will be <laughs> recording again. Thank you to everybody that um, messaged us or sent us emails just asking what's going on. Um, we should have probably updated you guys. It's just been really, really busy um past kind of like month and a half I think everybody's been really busy in November and December in the lead up to Christmas and the two of us found um, ourselves really really stressed out and having a bit of a time so anyway rest assured we will be back and as I said we are alive um, and we'll be back in 2018. In the meantime, I thought since it is Christmas, um, I would give you a few fun Christmassy facts and then tell you a slightly morbid, slightly very lovely story that I love. So here we go. Um, So I've got three really cool facts that are from Terry Deary, who, as you probably know, is the author of the Horrible Histories books, which were my favorite growing up, and I still love them now. So I've got three cool facts that I really liked. Um, So the first is, in 1647, Oliver Cromwell banned the baking of Christmas puddings, which is horrible because I love Christmas pudding. It's not a tradition that's really known in Canada. Uh, My family's always done it. So it's a bit of a shock and awe when people realize that we were burning, you know, a pudding at home. But uh, yeah, I've grown up with it and very much look forward to my dad lighting it on fire in in, in a few days. So my second fact is that Queen Victoria didn't like pantomimes. And I don't know how you can't, but apparently... You cannot be a fan of them. And one year she remarked, um, it was noisy and nonsensical as usual, which is, I would argue, exactly how you would want a pantomime to be. And my third fact, um, this one's quite morbid, uh, is that on the 25th of December, 1887, a U.S. newspaper reported Mrs. Morris decided to light the candles of her Christmas tree her six-year-old son, Frank, seized hold of a branch of the Christmas tree to see whether one of the candles was light, um, and he upset the tree. The tree, in falling, set fire to the house and also to the clothing of Frank. An attempt was made to put out the fire on him. It was too late, however. The house was also burned down. So that's not a very Merry Christmas, as you can probably tell. So today is the eighteenth of December, and it's the hundred and twenty fifth anniversary or death day of the daughter of the original owners of my house uh, where I'm currently sitting um, in our in our library, yes, my house has a library um, and so I thought it would be a very appropriate day to do a kind of morbid history Christmas recording in her honor so I've told the story a lot of times, but her name was Kathleen and my name's Katie, which I think is really strange. And you can read into that um, if you want to. I like to read into it. But uh, yeah, I like to think that she is always around. So you can bet that I will be visiting her grave um, when I'm at home here in Canada. Anyway, uh, without further ado, here is one of my favorite Christmas stories. Uh, It was written in 1905 and slightly depressing, but as I said, it's very, uh, just lovely. You'll have to excuse the fact that I'm really stuffed up and the fact that obviously this story makes me a little bit verklempt. So here it is. This is Gift of the Magi by O. Henry. One dollar and 87 cents, that was all. And 60 cents of it was in pennies. Pennies saved one and two at a time by bulldozing the grocer and the vegetable man and the butcher until one's cheeks burned with the silent imputation of parsimony that such close dealing implied. Three times Della counted it, one dollar and 87 cents, and the next day would be Christmas. There was clearly nothing to do but flop down on the shabby little couch and howl, so Della did it, which instigates the moral reflection that life is made up of sobs, sniffles, and smiles, with sniffles predominating. While the mistress of the home is gradually subsiding from the first stage to the second, take a look at the home, a furnished flat at $8 per week. It did not exactly beg her description, but it certainly had that word on the lookout for the mendicancy squad. In the vestibule below was a letter box into which no letter would go, and an electric button from which no mortal finger could coax a ring. Also appertaining thereunto was a card bearing the name Mr. James Dillingham Young. The Dillingham had been flung to the breeze during a former period of prosperity when its possessor was being paid thirty dollars per week. Now, when the income was shrunk to twenty dollars, though, they were thinking seriously of contracting to a modest and unassuming D. But whenever Mr. James Dillingham Young came home and reached his flat above, he was called Jim and greatly hugged by Mrs. James Dillingham Young, already introduced to you as Della, which is all very good. Della finished her cry and attended to her cheeks with a powder rag. She stood by the window and looked out dully at a gray cat walking a gray fence in a gray backyard. Tomorrow would be Christmas day and she had only a dollar and 87 cents with which to buy Jim a present she had been saving every penny she could for months with this result 20 dollars a week doesn't go far expenses had been greater than she had calculated they always are only a dollar and 87 cents to buy a present for Jim her Jim many a happy hour she had spent planning for something nice for him something fine and rare and sterling, something just a little bit near to being worthy of the honor of being owned by Jim. There is a pier glass between the windows of the room. Perhaps you have seen a pier glass in an $8 flat. A very thin and very agile person may, by observing his reflection in a rapid sequence of longitudinal strips, obtain a fairly accurate conception of his looks. Della, being slender, had mastered the art. Suddenly, she whirled from the window and stood before the glass. Her eyes were shining brilliantly, but her face had lost its color within 20 seconds. Rapidly, she pulled down her hair and let it fall to its full length. Now, there were two possessions of the James Dillingham Youngs in which they both took a mighty pride. One was Jim's gold watch that had been his father's and his grandfather's, So now Della's beautiful hair fell about her rippling and shining like a cascade of brown waters. It reached below her knee and made itself almost a garment for her. And then she did it up again nervously and quickly. Once she faltered for a minute and stood still while a tear or two splashed on the worn red carpet. On went her old brown jacket. On went her old brown hat. With a whirl of skirts and with the brilliant sparkle still in her eyes, she fluttered out the door and down the stairs to the street. Where she stopped, the sign read, Madame Saufreny, hair goods of all kinds. One flight up, Della ran and collected herself, panting. Madame, large, too white, chilly, hardly looked like the Saufreny. "'Will you buy my hair?' asked Della. I buy hair, said Madame. Take your hat off, and let's have a sight at the looks of it. Down rippled the brown cascade. Twenty dollars, said Madame, lifting the mass with a practiced hand. Give it to me quick, said Della. Oh, and the next two hours tripped by on rosy wings. Forget the hashed metaphor. She was ransacking the stores for Jim's present. She found it at last. It surely had been made for Jim and no one else. There was no other like it in any of the stores, and she had turned all of them inside out. It was a platinum fob chain, simple and chaste in design, properly proclaiming its value by substance alone and not by meretricious ornamentation, as all good things should do. It was even worthy of the watch. As soon as she saw it, she knew that it must be Jim's. It was like him, quietness and value. The description applied to both. $21 they took from her for it, and she hurried home with the 87 cents. With that chain on his watch, Jim might be properly anxious about the time in any company. Grand as the watch was, He sometimes looked at it on the sly on account of the old leather strap that he used in place of a chain. When Della reached home, her intoxication gave way a little to prudence and reason. She got out her curling irons and lighted the gas and went to work repairing the ravages made by generosity added to love, which is always a tremendous task, dear friends. A mammoth task. Within 40 minutes, her head was covered with tiny, close-lying curls that made her look wonderfully like a truant schoolboy. She looked at her reflection in the mirror long, carefully, and critically. "'Oh, if Jim doesn't kill me,' she said to herself, "'before he takes a second look at me, he'll say I look like a Coney Island chorus girl. But what could I do? Oh, what could I do with a dollar and eighty-seven cents?' At seven o'clock, the coffee was made and the frying pan was on the back of the stove hot and ready to cook the chops. Jim was never late. Della doubled the fob chain in her hand and sat on the corner of the table near the door that he always entered. Then she heard his step on the stair away down on the first flight and she turned white just for a moment. She had a habit of saying little silent prayer about the simplest everyday things. And now she whispered, please God, make him think I'm still pretty. The door opened and Jim stepped in and closed it. He looked thin and very serious. Poor fellow, he was only 22 and to be burdened with a family. He needed a new overcoat and he was without gloves. Jim stopped inside the door, as immovable as a setter at the scent of a quail. His eyes were fixed upon Della, and there was an expression in them that she could not read and it terrified her. It was not anger, nor surprise, nor disapproval, nor horror, nor any of the sentiments that she had been prepared for. He simply stared at her fixedly with that peculiar expression on his face. Della wriggled off the table and went for him. "'Jim, darling!' she cried. "'Don't look at me that way. i had my hair cut off and sold "'because I couldn't have lived through Christmas "'without giving you a present. "'It'll grow out again. "'You won't mind, will you? "'I just had to do it. "'My hair grows awfully fast. "'Say Merry Christmas, Jim, and let's be happy. "'You don't know what a nice... "'what a beautiful, nice gift I've got for you.' "'You've cut off your hair?' asked Jim, laboriously, as if he had not arrived at that patent fact, even after the hardest mental labor. "'Cut it off and sold it,' said Della. "'Don't you like me just as well anyhow? I'm me without my hair, ain't I?' Jim looked about the room curiously. "'You say your hair is gone?' he said, with an air almost of idiocy. "'You needn't look for it,' said Della.' It's sold, I tell you, sold and gone too. It's Christmas Eve, boy, be good to me, for it went for you. Maybe the hairs of my head were numbered, she went on with sudden serious sweetness, but nobody could ever count my love for you. Shall I put the chops on, Jim? Out of his trance, Jim seemed quickly to wake. He enfolded his Della. For 10 seconds, let us regard with discreet scrutiny some inconsequential object in the other direction. Eight dollars a week or a million a year. What is the difference? A mathematician or a wit would give you the wrong answer. The Magi brought valuable gifts, but that was not among them. This dark assertion will be illuminated later on. Jim drew a package from his overcoat pocket and threw it upon the table. Don't make any mistake, Dell," he said about me. I don't think there's anything in the way of a haircut or a shave or a shampoo that could make me like my girl any less. But if you'll unwrap that package, you may see why you had me going a while at first. White fingers and nimble tore at the string and paper. And then an ecstatic scream of joy. And then, alas... A quick feminine change to hysterical tears and wails, necessitating the immediate employment of all the comforting powers of the lord of the flat. For there lay the combs, a set of combs, side and back, that Della had worshipped long in a Broadway window. Beautiful combs, pure tortoiseshell with jeweled rims, just the shade to wear in that beautiful vanished hair. They were expensive combs she knew and her heart had simply craved and yearned over them without the least hope of possession and now they were hers but the tresses that should have adorned the coveted adornments were gone but she hugged them to her bosom and at length she was able to look up with dim eyes and a smile and say my hair grows so fast jim and then Della leapt up like a little singed cat and cried, Oh! Oh! Jim had not yet seen his beautiful present. She held it out to him eagerly upon her open palm. The dull, precious metal seemed to flash with a reflection of her bright and ardent spirit. Isn't it a dandy, Jim? I hunted all over town to find it. You'll have to look at the time a hundred times a day now. Give me your watch. I want to see how it looks on it. Instead of obeying... Jim tumbled down on the couch and put his hands under the back of his head and smiled. Dell, said he, let's put our Christmas presents away and keep them a while. They're too nice to use just at present. I sold the watch to get the money to buy your combs. And now, suppose you put the chops on. The magi, as you know, were wise men, wonderfully wise men. Who brought gifts to the babe in the manger. They invented the art of giving Christmas presents. Being wise, their gifts were no doubt wise ones, possibly bearing the privilege of exchange in case of duplication. And here I have lamely related to you the uneventful chronicle of two foolish children in a flat, who most unwisely sacrificed for each other the greatest treasures of their house. But in a last word to the wise of these days, let it be said that of all who give gifts, these two were the wisest. Of all who give and receive gifts, such as they are the wisest. Everywhere, they are the wisest. They are the Magi. Have an absolutely lovely Christmas, everyone, and we'll see you in 2018. Of course, where would I be without plugging all of our social media outlets, which I will be updating. Um, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Morb Hist Podcast. You can also find us on Facebook at Morbid History Podcast. You can also email us with any tips or stories that you really like or. Um, yeah pictures of your pets we always love those um and you can email us at morbid at gmail.com also please do rate review and subscribe i'm doing charlie's bit here um and we do love um knowing where we can improve and what you love as well so without further ado um yeah i'll let you go and uh eat because that's what i'm gonna go do all right we'll talk to you later bye ah, ah. what do you think yeah <laughs> <laughs>